It's week two of minor league baseball down. It feels like we're back in the groove, and it feels like uh, it never left. Even though it was gone for a year, it's nice to settle back into watching prospects on a regular basis. I'm Justin Latta. This is the Farm Report podcast, and uh, Pat Ellington is joining me tonight. He is uh, our one of our top prospect writers and top prospect writers in all of baseball right now, uh, covering the Lake County Captains for IBI. We're going to go through all the stuff that happened this past week. Uh, first time you're joining us, Pat. Thanks for doing this with me. And uh, why don't you just kind of introduce yourself to the uh, to the audience, tell them where they can find you, and tell them about your your background and where they can read everything you've done to this point. Because you've you've done a lot of writing at this point, to be honest. Yeah. Um, good evening, uh, people. Uh, my name is Pat Ellington Jr. Uh, I'm a 23 year old writer from Cleveland, Ohio. Born and raised my whole life. My family's from Youngstown, so I claim Youngstown also. So shout out Youngstown 330, we, we here. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at tangible, T-A-N-G-I-B-L-E underscore Uno, U-N-O. Um, and um, I grew up an Indians fan, um, hometown team. My favorite player growing up, my favorite baseball player growing up was Heath Sabathia. Um, my introduction to the game in general was through my family. Um, my great-grandfather played in Negro Leagues for a couple of years and so I come from a baseball family on mom's side. Um, my mom went to baseball games with my grandfather as a kid, great grandfather as a kid, and she introduced me to the game when um, I had to write a she made me write a, a book report on Satchel Page in the second grade. And ever since then, I've been a I, that's when I really started paying attention to the game. And my dad is a Yankees fan from New Jersey, so I remember watching Jeter and, and those guys in the core four or whatever when I was a kid, just flashes and bits, but. Um, I've been really writing about baseball for for about a year. Um, it started out as a hobby, and then I say about five months ago in January, I got my big break, and it's it's been up from there. It's only been up from there. I've gotten plenty of opportunities to write at different places, um, baseball perspectives, official IBI, um, just in kind of just handing me the opportunity to cover the minor leagues, and uh, I'm taking it. I'm taking it, and I'm and I'm running with the current one. Yeah, it's been a big first year for you, for sure. And definitely, if you're listening, this is the first time you're hearing from Pat or um, you've heard about his work, definitely go check it out. He's done a lot of really, really cool writing, um, bringing a lot of good new viewpoints to the game that need to get out there. Um, we're going to get into Lake County heavily because obviously you and I are both in Lake County. But I think the first topic ever on everybody's mind is anything wrong with Owen Miller because the last two games he only had three hits. Uh, his average dipped below 500. Clearly, he was overhyped. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, I guess everyone just kind of wants to know when he's going to be up. Um, Pat, what, what's your – this is the first time we're seeing Owen Miller in, in the Cleveland system outside of, I don't know, a week in the alternate site camp last year after he got traded. Uh, what are your first impressions on, on Owen Miller and I guess kind of the hype train that's following him right now? So when we traded Clevenger to the Padres, I really um, felt like the prospect package we got back was was really good. It was great, actually. We said, and I feel like a lot of a lot of the media, especially the mainstream media, didn't didn't approach the trade with the correct context. They just kind of 
put it filed it under the Indians or the dumping salary and and da, 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 when they were really trading high on the player with injury history and they were trading from the, from a position of strength and which is starting pitching. Now you may say, Oh, but start pitching to be good this year. Well they're young, I mean, just from a ceiling perspective, um and the and the youth. I mean, you, you can't and the track record of the team also, you can't argue against that. Now, um, the trade really kind of really reinforced my perspective that the top 100 prospect fascination people have when it comes to trades is very overblown and kind of overemphasized. Um, especially with the elite forces like the Padres. The Padres' top 15 guys are probably top 10 players in every system of baseball except for the Rays. And, you know, Owen Miller's prospect profile was very in line with what the Indians like in players. Um, versatile infielder um, with the above-average contact tool, um, has an idea of approach and has a pretty good idea to strike zone, and he can hit. And he's shown that so far. He can hit, and he's versatile. He's played all over the place. Um, I'm in room playing first base in spring training, along with playing the other infield spots and, you know, that's what just that's a valuable player and um throughout his minor career all miller has put up a diversity plus well above 100 at every level based on fan graphs and um yeah that's that's what i see with him he's a solid prospect um i wouldn't call him a, a 45 self 45 grade that's a pretty valuable player um, in my opinion yeah you're spot on 45 is, is that sweet spot where maybe they're not quite an everyday regular, like I look at Cesar Hernandez, and I think Cesar Hernandez is like that forty-five, fifty, where he's a good everyday player. He's not an all-star. He's just really reliable and someone you could put in your lineup and not have to worry about too much. You know, he's going to be, you know, give you professional at bat. And Owen Miller, I kind of see in that same vein as the guy that hits the crap out of the ball. And um, obviously, you know, Cesar Hernandez has won a Gold Glove or whatever that's worth. Uh, and voting these days, but I'll be curious to see where Owen Miller ends up defensively for Cleveland, just because second base is probably his best position, I feel like. But he's played short. You mentioned he played first. He's played some third. Um, it's a good it's a good role to have somebody if they can play every day at different positions and they feel comfortable just to get their bat in the lineup. And, and as we're recording this, the Indians are going to play um, Anna, or Los Angeles, Angels of Anaheim. I still get twisted with that sometimes. Uh, Yu Chang's not in the lineup again against the left-handed pitcher, so it's Josh Neal at first base, which that's fine. But it just feels like Yu Chang's roster spot is, is dead, and, and there's no reason to have him there if he's not going to play because it doesn't do him any good. Um, I think Owen Miller is probably the better player, personally. Maybe you, maybe you like Yu Chang a little bit better than I do. Pat, but I don't know. I, I don't see any reason why when they come back to Cleveland outside of a 40-man spot issue, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't replace Yu Chang with Owen Miller when they get back to Cleveland. Do you do you feel like Yu Chang still has a spot in this roster? Do you like him better than Owen Miller, or do you think uh, it's about the right time to make the switch? Well, I mean, with Yu Chang, he was, a, he was a very good prospect. I felt like he was a bit underrated in Cleveland or well, in the Cleveland Miners especially with the um, power he showed as a shortstop primarily and while 
that power has not translated to the majors at all. Like, at all. Um, it's a bit shocking, but I think, I mean, I, I agree with you, but I think Owen Miller not being on the 40-man kind of complicates things. I'm going to say, feel like they they are going to make those flurry moves that they need to make in order to get Owen Miller on the 40-man. Um, and just say, why, why not? And just do it. I mean, I want to be against it. I will actually be for it. But, I mean, based on where the team is at right now, and I, I see like they're going to delay it. the Owen Miller call up to at least June. Or they maybe they want to see if we can extend this, this hitting streak he's on now. Even though he was already pretty much um, on the verge of a call up after 2019. Because he put up a 121 WRC plus at double A in like 120 games, I think. 130 games. Um, but maybe they just want to see if he can continue to do what he's doing. Um, right now, his, he has a ridiculous bad bit at 625, um, which is going to come down. But the Indians like to call up guys when they're hot and when they're doing well because they like um, the psychological benefits of that. They carry over it when it comes to uh, obtaining success. So I have to see, but ultimately I also think that um, it doesn't matter because I don't know if Tito's going to give Owen Miller his just due if he does get called up because it's Tito. That's that's definitely an issue because if Owen Miller comes up, he cannot go the way of Yu Chang. You can't call Owen Miller up and then not play him. I, I can't even tell you the last time I saw Yu Chang in the lineup, to be honest. like I think he played... A week and a half ago. Yeah, and I don't think he even started. I think he came in late in a game when they were either up by a lot or down by a lot. So he's just not even playing. He's just sitting there. And that that can't be what they do with Owen Miller. They shouldn't be doing with Yu Chang in the first place, quite frankly. If he's going to be on the roster, you need to play him at his age and experience level. But Exactly. Yeah, they don't want to do that to Owen Miller. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, And that's kind of been one thing throughout the Tito Francona era. Um. He has a he has a really short lease with position players, and he only only really gives us uh, a lot of room for error to starting pitchers. It seems like, and it's very annoying, especially from a developmental perspective. I mean, I understand this team is doing well, and it's a young team that's playing well despite a bad offense and um, up and down pitching because it's young pitching, um, but. Somehow he's found a way to be biased towards veterans, and it's very annoying. Well, not not annoying. He's just kind of wrong. I mean, I don't really care about the team in the playoffs this year. I just want to see the young guys play and see and figure out who sinks and who swims. That's that's where my mind is at. That's what I think they should be doing, but they're not. And ironically, I think that's what gives them the best shot to compete. It, it probably does. I mean, they they have a lot of low end. Veteran talent. I would say low end. I guess middle of the road veteran talent. You look at Cesar Hernandez, who's a nice veteran, but you know, not a doesn't really make the team a ton better. He just is kind of a a stabilizer. And Eddie Rosario has been terrible lately, but that's a whole different conversation. Um, yeah. So we talked about the forty man issues. I don't know. They could move Roberto Perez to the sixty day DL or IL, and they could bring him up on that. Yeah, I guess the only position, the only issue is that and, and playing time. Is he going to platoon at first base again? Uh, and, and the other thing is, too, like he's – Andres Jimenez has gotten an odd amount of 
days off. I know it's against left-handed pitching, but you've got to have, and they have to have Jose Ramirez in the lineup every day because otherwise this team can't score without Jose Ramirez. So he doesn't get days off. Cesar Hernandez likes to play every day, so he doesn't get days off. But I almost feel like, if well, I wish I wish they were more willing to play Fran Mill Reyes in right field. If you're willing to put Harold, well, I don't know, maybe Harold Ramirez is a bad comp, but if you're willing to put Ahmed Rosario in center next to Eddie Rosario next to Josh Naylor, I don't really see how much, how much it can get worse defensively by putting Fran Mill Reyes out there. DHing Jose Ramirez to give him a half day off and then putting Owen Miller at third base or, or Yu Chang for that matter. Like there's ways to make it work. And I, I think maybe it starts with admitting that you're already putting a terrible outfield out there. You might as well put Fran Mel Reyes out there and give somebody a half day off by DHing them and then working in a Yu Chang or an Owen Miller. That way you're you're working in young guys and getting them some regular playing time, even if it's at third one day or first the next or second the next. Yeah, I agree. This team, this organization for as progressive and cutting edge as it is, the front office, they really do not do the best job when it comes to um, creative roster deployment. And it, so there's it, your it's in game margin. I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to RP. No, continue. I, I, I was agreeing no. with you. Um, okay, well, yeah, I, I was kind of trying to pass it back to you. That's all I really wanted to say, but... <laughs> Yeah, they could – I feel like back in 2013, I remember how good the bench was with Jan Gomes coming off the bench and Mike Avilas was a nice player at the time and Ryan Rayburn and they, I guess they had Jason Giambi. But, like, that was the goon squad. They called him the goon squad and it was a it was a great bench and they – it was a part of their team identity and it made them really good by having a good bench and having an Owen Miller – I think could could be part of that. I, I don't know if Owen Miller is a, a Mike Avilas type player. That might be putting him a little bit low. Mike Avilas had some pretty good years, but I feel like he's a similar ish player. Like he's not gonna he's gonna hit for a decently high average. He's gonna have some power. He has some versatility. Maybe he's a little better than Mike Avilas, but that's kind of who I. I liked your um. I like the right-handed Jet Lowry comp you made when we were talking about who we compare all the other two. Well, I was. And then you, I asked you who you compared him to, and you followed up and said right-handed Jed Lowry. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, because Jed Lowry has played all over the field in his career, and he's had some years where he's hit for more power. He's had some years where he's hit for a better average than power. He's had a lot of years where he's been hurt, unfortunately, but he's been a good player for the most part. Um, he's had a couple seasons where he's played four years and had a – above average WRC plus. I feel like that's that's a good outcome for Owen Miller. Somebody else the other day said Chris Taylor, but I feel like Chris Taylor hits for more power, and I don't know if Owen Miller Owen Miller isn't the kind of hitter that's going to sell out for power, and I feel like Chris Taylor, his swing is kind of sells Taylor out for power also, sometimes. Chris Taylor can also play every position on the field except catcher and pitcher, and I don't think Owen Miller has athleticism to do that. Yeah, I agree. So he's, he's not quite Chris Taylor. I, I feel like Chris Taylor would be a really great outcome for Owen Miller, but I think that's that might be going a little bit far. Chris Taylor, by the way, in 2017 had a, a 4.8 fan graphs war. That's, that's pretty darn good. I don't think you're ever going to see Owen Miller get quite there, but doesn't mean he's not a good player. Yeah, I agree. Um, I feel like when we talk about utility guys, people kind of catch the ceiling as Ben Zobris and don't really realize Ben Zobris is just different. 
because he literally played a different position every day and he would do so at all star level at that position. It was just, I feel like, just based on what Ben's over just did offensively and defensively, there should be a gold glow for utility guys that play a lot of positions. That's a good point. But Ben Zobris was definitely a unicorn. He was, yeah. I don't know, people need to stop comparing players to him because that was just a very unique player and, and at a very unique time in our organization too with Joe Madden. Like Joe Madden has been, a, he's a different manager now than he was then. But yeah, he, he was the ultimate weapon for Joe Madden and our race. He really personifies what the race organization is, Ben Zobris. Um, and even how they acquired him, they acquired him in trade from Houston or like a reliever or something. And, how they find value in Ben was putting up a seven war at his peak. That's the MVP candidate player. And he was bouncing around the infield and the outfield and doing so above average defensively and offensively. We, we really might never see that's a once in a generation player, whether you agree or disagree. I mean, you can go look at the numbers for yourself. Uh, I, I, I think he is. Yeah. I don't think you'll see someone do what he does. did again. Maybe, maybe, Close to it, but yeah, I think it's definitely time to stop like looking at every utility prospect, especially in Cleveland when you have guys who are playing all sorts of infield positions and saying, well, he could be Ben Zobris. So like that's just, I think that's just a lazy comparison, to be honest. Like that's, yeah. you have to get that out of your mind. Yeah. Let's, let's move on to Lake County here real quick. Let's, let's get in the thick of that. You've been up there for a couple of games now. Um, just what are your first impressions from the club there and, and who, who stood out to you most on, on either side of the ball, really? Um, so my first impressions are it's a very talented um, roster. Um, there was kind of a consensus amongst the individuals in the various realms of Indian Twitter that Lake County was the team to pay attention to. And it's mostly hinged around uh, um, individuals that were a part of the 2017 J2 signing class, international class. Um, and for you guys who don't know who I'm talking about off the top of your heads, it's George Valera, Brian Rocchio, Jose Tena, Jose Tana and um, forget his name. I think Bracho was in that class. Yeah, Aaron Bracho. Yeah, Aaron Bracho is actually centerpiece of that class, but um, get the largest bonus. But um, and there's also you got guys like Randall Degado who got like the biggest bonus ever into like a, a sixth round pick in Indians draft history. Um, and on the pitching side, you have the, the three pitchers that were taken in the 2020 draft, Burns, uh, Allen, uh, and Hickman. I only saw Burns and Allen, but we can start with the pitching, and we can go to position players afterwards. Um, so Logan Allen, um, 15 Ks, like only three baseball balls, and no, score, no runs allowed through his first 10 innings of professional ball. And he's been very efficient. He's aggressive. Um, from the highlights I saw in his first start, he likes to pitch backwards, and he really carried that over in uh, his second start that I watched in person. His fastball has a lot of life. Well, it shows flashes of a lot of life. Um, I'm sick for a two-seamer. And he corrected me and said, no, I only throw a four-seamer. And that's, that, that really stuck with me. Um, he controls. His control is, is great. He, he's very aggressive. He's attacking guys. I think... If he keeps up, I think he's going to be about double A sometime this year. I have to agree. I'm I'm really impressed with the fact that he is out of college. And remember, these guys didn't have like a full season last year. They pitched until the beginning of March, and then that was right. it for everybody. 
And then they didn't get to do anything last summer either. They got drafted, and it was like uh, they just played fall instructs. Yeah, and he's coming in here, and he's just throwing strikes like it's you know he rolls out of bed and throws strikes. And for him to do it, not only at at in the minor leagues and it's to start his pro career, but it's high A. Remember, Lake County's high A now, and it's not like he's facing a bunch of uh, you know. I, I guess there's 19, 20 year olds in the league, but he's facing a level that's usually reserved for a little more advanced prospects. I know everything's changed this year because of COVID, but he's coming in there and doing it against really good talent, I would say. And that's what makes it really exciting. I agree. Um, it's funny when you bring up age because all those 19 and 20 year olds are on the Indians IA group because we have like, they have like five of the youngest 10 players. And, um, but the, the success he's had is very odd. And not even just success, he's been dominant. Like he, Pitched five perfect, you know, five um, no hit innings in his first start, and then his second start, he didn't allow a hit until like the fourth inning. I, I think he didn't, he got no jam in the fourth inning, and he got a jam in, in the fifth inning, but he got out of it, and he was just he just overmatching guys. They didn't know what to do. Um, he he kind of he had everything on the string. He was getting weird looking swings on the stuff. He was he would. And it wasn't just like get me over breaking balls. He was getting those guys look uncomfortable in, in those at bats, and he was just he was attack. He was so aggressive and attacking. That's just the way. That's the only that's the main adjective I want to use because he was just in control the whole time. And that's what you look for is is what do the hitters do against him? What are the hitters saying about what he can do? And like you said, he's getting an awkward swings and he's getting guys who just are up there very confused, maybe because he's pitching backwards, but just because he commands everything, guys up there have a hard time putting a plan together against them because of the command, because of his sequencing. And I think that's the same thing for Tanner Burns too. I've only seen Tanner on video, but it kind of feels like the same thing with him. He, he throws a lot of strikes. He attacks guys in the zone. And uh, I don't know about sequencing with him. Maybe you can speak better to that because you've seen him in person, but um I just know he's gotten some awkward swings, too. I saw his first start. Um, he got a couple of really ugly swings on his slider. Yeah, um, so it was kind of harder to differentiate uh, Burns' stuff. and But after the game, he, he really, um, the way he talked about his game plan elaborated, it really helped me understand what he was trying to do. Um, so he, he was going fastball all quads at his own. Um, and he was he was aggressive too, and he was just as dominant. Well, not just as dominant as Logan was, but he was up there. And the caveat to that was the fact that um, he talked about the tweaks he was making with the cutter, with a slutter. Um, excuse my French. Um, yeah, that was really that was a really cool facet, and also um, the change he made with his change up, the change of grip also. That was very interesting to me to see he's already making tweaks to his um, his arsenal. And he's only played two professional games. So, um, I said Cleveland pitching factory magic in real time, I guess. But um, his mentality also, he, he really emphasized being aggressive, um, attacking hitters also. So I really think the organization has found a, another group of advanced college pitchers that they like and are going to um, try and turn them into something similar to what they did with the class of 2016. Yeah, this class could have that similar success because, I mean, Mason Hickman hasn't quite 
put up the numbers, and I don't think he's quite had the same level of, of performance yet of Burns and Allen so far, but he's looked pretty good. Um, did Burns specifically say what kind of change of grip? Because we had him in the draft. I think we had him as a fastball slider change, but obviously he said he was working on a, a hybrid cutter and um, slider. I'm not really sure what kind of changeup he had before, but did he say specifically if it was a certain type of changeup? Yeah, so I actually put it in my press report, but I mean in the captain's report for that day, but it's a um, four-seam change of grip, traditional four-seam change of grip, and he offsets it a bit. I'm not sure what grip he had before um, out of the draft. I'd have to ask Willie that specifically because I didn't get a good look at him in college. Sometimes it's hard for me to stay on top of the draft when there's my like baseball going on because I have a hard time flipping back and forth between the two. So I usually leave that to to guys like Willie. I mean, so Willie's, we've already seen that. Yeah, Willie's is about on the draft, so I mean, I understand. And the draft can be very overwhelming too. Just trying to sift through guys and see who's who and what they do. You know, there's just so many players. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a bunch of the infielders. You mentioned Reynaldo Gatto. Uh, this team's got 25 seals through their uh, the first two weeks. They are. I, I when I saw them the first two games, they were just running at will. They're running every game. Delgado's got six. Will Brennan's got four. And how about? Brian Lavastida, the catcher, has four steals himself. That, I mean, I'm sure you noticed the same thing the two games you were up there. They, they're running almost every inning. I feel like. Yeah, they're running wild, and not just steals. They're tagging up on on ground balls, and they're moving up on grounders and fly balls aggressively. Um, they're on balls put in play. They're being aggressive, and they're a very, very athletic team. And when I talked to the manager Greg Deshinto after the game, he said he wants to let guys be themselves, which is very encouraging. Because um, when you look at what these guys are doing at ball, a lot of these guys are aggressive and athletic, like especially the infielders. And um, Jose Tena really just lit it up in, in the two games I was there. He had three hits in both games. And, and in the first game I saw him, he, he set the table. He was batting leadoff, and he set the table and, and just scored runs at will. Um, he scored from second on an infield single. That's insane. I didn't. I didn't know he had that kind of speed. To be honest with you, like we, we haven't had a really good look at him, obviously because he's so young. But yeah, I didn't realize he had that kind of speed, and <clears throat> also showing off his base running chops as well. This inst- they, these guys have great instincts as well. Um, Victor Nova is a good base runner. Um, he sold a base us on. Um, um, Brian Rocchio is a great base runner also, but his his base running shot he's gotten better. Um, in the minors, in in uh in the complex leagues and in foreign ball, he got caught a lot, but um I think he'll come around. These guys are just so athletic and dynamic. Um, like you said, twenty five bases already. They scored, They stole five bases the game before I covered my first game. My first game, they stole four bases, and they also were tagging up and and moving up very aggressively and. In the second game I covered, they stole like three. And they've only been caught four times this year. Yeah, that, that's crazy. That's really good for the fact that these guys are all super young. And, and for Jose Tina, who hasn't been out of Arizona until this year, and Brian Rocchio, who was stuck in Venezuela last year during the pandemic, unable to train with the organization. I mean, for these guys to come out here and, and pick up baseball instincts after 
that time off and, and not have the experience. You know, it just speaks to the kind of player I feel like this team is has really gone hard on as far as profile is concerned. And, you know, they make a ton of contact and they, they run well and they're just instinctual baseball players. That's really just the profile they really have leaned into so far. Absolutely. And it, that one is really playing out. Yeah, and it's really cool because um, to see what the team prefers up close is kind of you see the influence of 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 Francisco Lindo and Jose Ramirez on organizations' philosophy of what they want in a player. Um, and I did a article for a website I used to write for um, about the infatuation the team has with hitting infielders, and I was kind of carried over since the '90s. And I, I really think they see some inherent value from a from a really made contact about the, from those guys, in, in my opinion, um, just based on their cognition of hitting. I mean, and they have a lot of associated organization. And um, it's funny because um, I remember when they traded for Victor Nova in a Bauer deal and he was labeled as a left-handed hitter, but he's actually a switch hitter. Or he might have changed. I can't remember. But he really caught my eye because he has a very patient approach. Um his first game, I saw him. He was frequently in three-two counts, but he kind of was. Eh. He, he 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 wasn't getting on base. But in the second game, I saw him. He he put up two walks, and that's one thing about the team too. They're they're very good. They're very talented hitters as well. They drew eight walks the second game I saw them. Yeah, it's something I I don't think I saw a lot of, or at least I didn't see. I didn't take that away initially. But you're right. This team has been been very patient and they it's not like they've scored a ton of runs we've talked about lynchburg a ton they've hit the crap out of the ball Lake county hasn't quite had the same offense but they're finding different ways to do it they don't have a uh john kenzie noel in the lineup up here but um, it's just good to see the different variations and how these these guys play the game together and um, their skills kind of complement each other and, and how it equates to scoring runs the one thing i do want to bring up too you were Mentioning guys in the J2 class, um, a guy we've gotten a lot of questions about since Wednesday is George Valera. Um, George has not played since Wednesday night. Uh, he got pulled from that game after Greg Desenzo said it was after a throw. Uh, and he was supposed to be – it was a scheduled day off Thursday for him with, with how many players they have on the roster right now. And then he said he'd be reevaluated Friday. Uh, Valera didn't play Friday. He didn't play Saturday. And he did not play Sunday. Also, the same with Brian Lavastida. I'm, I'm not sure what's going on with Lavastida, but um, all I know from, from Valera is that he was pulled after a throw from left field. Did you notice anything that night that looked odd after he, he threw that ball from left field? I actually didn't see anything, and I, I'm kind of mad I didn't because I was actually wasn't paying attention all the way. Yeah, yeah it was it was kind of – it was a rub too, because you actually brought up the fact that he got subbed out, and I didn't even notice. And I kind of felt like that. I kind of botched that by not paying attention to that, because that was a big moment, especially with Valera's injury history. Um. So yeah, I didn't notice anything. That was that was my fault for not fully paying attention. Well, I'm not trying to put you on the spot there, obviously. But no, I mean no. I, they, you're not putting my spot. They've been cagey about we're, it. We're good. But I know they've been cagey about it also. <laughs> And it's very, it's raising a big red flag, especially with how this um, organization handles injuries and the fact that him or Lavasi haven't played since that Wednesday, and it's very odd to see that they I had. 
we haven't heard anything. Not even the Indians pro guy on Twitter has said anything. And, you know, he has to jump on everything. I had a I – don't, I don't know how old he is anymore. He's a, <clears throat> a friend. He's a captain. He goes to a lot of captain's games. He's, he's a ticket holder. Um, and his son pointed out to me on Twitter that La Bastida hadn't played as many games as, as Valera. They've both been out since the same day. So I, I didn't even notice Lavastita wasn't playing. So it took like a, a 12 or 13-year-old to point that out to me too. So <laughs> we're in the same boat. We'll see what they say. I don't know. They, Like you said, La, uh, Valera's got a, a, an unfortunate lengthy injury history for how long he's been in baseball. I and mean, he's had the broken hamate when he first signed. He had a hamstring injury that delayed his uh, season in 2019. Then he also had another leg injury that year and – now he did something throwing a baseball, so we'll try to get the scoop on that as, as soon as we can. But, yeah, they have not really been willing to answer questions about that. Not a shock, but we'll try to keep pressing on that as best we can. Another guy who's healthy I wanted to bring up just real quick before we move on to Columbus is uh, Raymond Burgos, who was kind of a sleeper prospect and still kind of is, even though he's uh, he's been in the organization since 2016 as well. Um, he had Tommy John when they drafted him, and he had a stress reaction in his elbow, and he had a, a triceps issue in 2019 that shut down a really good season for him. Uh, he returned this week. He went three innings, struck out four, had two hits, looked really sharp. He was throwing about 88 to 92 I had him at, and he was 92-94 before the injury in 2019, and they, they brought him along slowly in spring training. Um, so he's still building up his innings, so I'm not really going to look too much in his velocity yet. But, man, the guy was super crisp. He threw a lot of strikes, uh, all corners of the strike zone. Didn't throw a lot of off-speed stuff, but the fastball was there, and he had good command of it. And guys were getting some late swings on it, so that's another encouraging thing to see. I don't know how they're going to fit more guys in this rotation, frankly, because you know we talked about Allen, we talked about Burns, we, talked, we haven't talked about Hickman, but he's there. Matt Turner had a good start the other day. Like, I just don't know how they're going to fit. Are they going to have, like, a seven-man rotation at this point? Like, it's this rotation is just incredible. I've never – they had Plesak, Beaver, and Savali in 2016 for, like, a very short time before Beaver got bumped up. But I've never seen a rotation like this in Lake County, and I'm eager to see how that all plays out. Yeah, I definitely think um, Burns and Allen are on the fast track to double-A shooting later. And I think they're going to bring up Espino when they call up one of um, the aforementioned two college pitchers they took to double-A. That's, that's, that's a tradition I had before the season started and after seeing Logan Allen and, and Burns in person. Um, I definitely think they're going to call them up around the all-star break like the Indians usually do. I like to, that's, like that, that's how they like to reward guys. Um, and rig up Espino if Espino kind of starts to dominate. Uh, even though Espino's been good in his own right, he just hasn't been as dominant as um, Logan T. Allen and Tanner Burns. And that's natural. This is his first taste of full season pro ball. It's before Espino, and he's coming back after 18, 18 months of rest. That's one big thing, too. The Lake County team has looked sharp on the base pass and stuff with their first coming back in 18 months and playing. That's very impressive. It has been for sure. It's been a, it's it. They've had a really interesting start to the season, and when you have a young team like that, like I think people look at the roster and they think, oh well, 
they've got Burns, and they've got Allen, and they've got Rokio, and they've got Valera. Like, this team should be really good, and that doesn't always equate to the team winning games. Like, it's, it's fun to watch them because they're loaded with, with prospects of a ton of potential, but that doesn't always equate to winning baseball games. I always look back at the 2010 captains won the Midwest League title, and I, I still feel like the only – Danny Salazar was there for, like, a week or two weeks. I forget how long he was there. He got hurt. But um, Roberto Perez was, the, like, the only major leaguer on that team. A lot of those guys never even made it past double A, but they went on to win the championship. So I feel like people look at this, like, as it's going to be a great team, but it's going to be exciting to watch, but it doesn't always equal wins. So, that I mean – from a fan perspective, I think people, maybe they care less about the team winning if they're just going to have a good time, especially when you're taking the family or something. But sometimes I feel like people look at rosters like the county and they think, well, this is going to be a really good team. They're going to win a lot of games. But it's not always the case. But the fact that they're doing well early, I think, speaks volumes to the maturity of these players and their baseball instincts and, and hopefully the readiness the organization has, you know, the how, how well they've prepared them, I guess I should say. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Well, let's move on to Columbus then real quick before we uh, get to more. I don't know. Columbus has been a really rough spot early in the year. Nolan Jones has been, quite frankly, not good. There's there's really no good way to put it. He is hitting under 100. Um, as much as we don't care about batting average, you can't hit below 100. That's not good. Uh, 352 OPS. Oh, that's, I thought that was on base percentage. Oh no, that's that's his OPS. That's the that's everything combined. I I've never seen him hit even in Lake County. He started off slow in Lake County his first year in pro ball. I never even saw that. Bobby Bradley, uh, 171, 749 OPS with four homers. So he's got seven hits on the year, four of them and home runs. I guess that's not really a shock, but uh, the 171 average is kind of a uh, a shock. Do you have any? Initial thoughts on those two. I know people are always asking about those two prospects and when they can help Cleveland, and, and there's not much to put into you know two weeks of games stats-wise, but they both seem to be struggling at the outset of the season. Um, I'm going to chalk it up to a small sample size and the fact that these guys are now seeing organized baseball for the first time in 18 months. And that's the obvious answer here, but, I mean, that's – that's pretty much the only logical way I could go. Um, I'm not going to read it Noah Jones starting off slow like this because, I mean, he's very talented. And I also feel like his swing and miss issues are over-exaggerated because um, I feel like guys that walk as much as he do are going to take called strikes. And, you know, this is his first time playing AAA, so even though he, he only played, what, like 90, 80, 70-something games at Ackman. If that. I don't if think he that, played that much. Yes, he played less than half season at Akron. So I mean, um, it is, I'm just giving him some time. If if it's July and he's still batting 100, I mean, I'll, I will be worried. Um, I I, I want to. That's a, that's the thing. I need to buy um a minor league baseball package so I, that way I can actually watch and see how he looks in his at bats. Maybe just having awful luck right now combined with the fact that this is his first taste of AAA ball and he's still adjusting to that. There's so many things that could be happening, but I really am not going to question well, Nolan Jones based on the track record so far. The guy's done nothing but hit in his minor league career. And I don't really see any reason why that would stop. 
AAA or even at the major leagues eventually because he's a three true outcomes guy with a lot of power and he knows how to control the strike zone. His, his eye is top tier in all of baseball. Um, Bobby right. Bradley, Carter. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, Bobby Bradley, um, similar for an LPS. Um, so he's he's hitting, he's running into home runs like he usually does. But I mean, that's all Bobby Bradley really does is hit home runs and nothing else. Um, I know he's a popular prospect and people like him, but I mean, I, I really don't think he's a major leaguer. So I'm a little apathetic, but I mean, he, he should do better. I mean, 250 uh, batting average is what I really expect from Bobby Rowley just because of the fact that he's, he strikes out 30% of the time at AAA. Um, he'll be okay. I mean, this is, this is like, we're like 11 games into the season. So same thing as ever Nolan Jones, same thing, so same thing I'll say for Bobby Bradley. Yeah, it's just it's it's 10, 10 11 games. Obviously, statistically, nothing really to be concerned about. I think my only, I don't want to say this, disappointment's not the right word, but surprise that they're struggling so much because I know the level of competition is is a lot for Jones. Maybe Bradley's been there before quite a bit, and obviously, as we know, he has nothing left to prove there. It's just a matter of playing time, but. Um, you know, both these guys were part of the alternate training site last year. I know that doesn't make up for minor league baseball, but I don't know. I, I just kind of felt like and it's 11 games, so things could really change quickly, I guess. But I just maybe I'm surprised a little bit more that they are struggling so much considering they both were part of the alternate training site last year. So they've been around and maybe that'll maybe they'll flip the switch really quickly. I don't know. I just. I didn't expect things to be so low for Nolan Jones initially. I don't even know what his average on balls in play are. Is he, you know, it's 188. I don't know. He's not putting a lot of balls in play, but obviously there's maybe some bad luck when he does. But I don't know. It's just kind of jarring, even 10 games in, to see the guy who's done so much in his minor league career and being part of the alternate training site last year to have a, a five weighted runs created plus mark 10 games in, I guess. It's just a. It's bizarre to see. Definitely, it is. It's a. It's a worth. It's a reasonable talking point to go over. So Columbus, just you know, I mean, they they've been a good team, I guess so far as far as outcomes are concerned. Uh, but those two are not really helping out. It's on Logan Allen. I don't think we need to spend a ton of, ton of time on Logan Allen. We saw what his struggles were at the major league level, and he had a his start was okay last week in Columbus. He started off. I think the first three innings had a shutout, and then the fourth inning or the fifth inning, things just kind of fell apart. He gave it four runs, only struck out three, uh, walked three. So he's still having a hard time, I don't know, just avoiding that big inning, I guess. Like he just – things start to unravel in, in an inning, and, and, you know, everything goes up in smoke, and it's over for him. I, that's all, all I can really attribute it to at this point. Yeah, I agree. From what I saw on Logan Allen at the major league level, he didn't really have a true out pitch. And he really didn't have command. Like, he just would leave fastballs 
in the zone. He would throw strikes, but they'd be stri hittable strikes and strikes that guys could drive. And especially against right-handers, he would just get burnt in just that one inning. I mean, he's still among the league leaders in AL and home runs allowed. And he's been down for like three starts. That's that's pretty bad. Uh, also, Eli Morgan, something to keep an eye on. Uh, his velocity, his last start was about eighty-seven to ninety, according to Jacob Benji. Morgan's never been a hard thrower. He, but he's typically been eighty-eight, ninety-two. He's topped out at ninety-four. He did have an elbow issue in spring training, so maybe he's just kind of working back slowly after having to be shut down because of the elbow issue. Uh, he was supposed to be part of the alternate training site in April and didn't get there towards until the end of April because he was building back up. So no reason to sound the alarm on Eli Morgan quite yet, but if the velocity stays, you know, 88 to 90 consistently, that's going to make it very hard for him because uh, he was already at a low bar velocity as it was. He still has that great changeup, but uh, he still needs to, you know, find a way to stick around 91, 92 to compete with everything else he has. Let's go to Akron real quick. How about Tyler Freeman, a five-hit game? Uh, he had four strikeouts in the first two games of the season, including a three-strikeout game, which if you told me Tyler Freeman had never struck out three times in a game in his entire baseball life, I would believe you. Uh, he had seven strikeouts in the first five games, but only two in the last four. He has none in the last two games, which was Saturday, Sunday. He has a seven-game hitting streak, and he is now hitting over 368. So, like you were talking about small samples, if we would have gone after uh, Tyler Freeman's first two games, he would have thought something was wrong. And, you know, seven games later, the guy is a hitting machine again. I don't know. The guy just finds ways to put the bear on the baseball. Like, his swing doesn't look like a traditional, like, uh, a hitting savant swing, I guess. It's a good swing, but it's not like one of those guys who are just like, yeah, that guy – just is going to hit the crap out of the ball. He just finds a way to get the barrel to the baseball, whether it's opposite field or, or pulling the ball down the line. It's, it's really uncanny because I really would classify him as a hitting savant just based on his ability to put the bat on the ball. And from an ASIC standpoint, for, I feel like with right-handed hitters, right-handed hitters usually have other swings when compared to left-handed hitters, naturally. Um, unless it's switch hitters. I don't know. Some switch hitters like um, Lindor and Jose, the way they can just make, the way that they can make both of their swings look so similar, and they can make their right-handed swing look like a left-handed swing. You know, you understand what I'm saying, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I feel like right-handed hitters just have less right-handed only hitters only have less aesthetically pleasing swings when compared to lefties. But um, I watched the highlights of him um, going on five for five. Or the five hit game he had in double play, and every hit he had went to right field. The, I think he, the guy just, the guy just, he finds a way to put the bat on the ball, and they just land for hits. I don't know if he just has ridiculous good luck, if it's like Nick, he's like, it's like Nick Magical ish, except he kind of hits, he, he he drives the ball more, in my opinion. Um, it's, it's very odd. I don't know. I just want to see him in person and, and see more and see more video. I just don't understand how he does this. It's just very strange. He's a very unique prospect. I feel like Nick Madrigal 
maybe not like a, I know you're, you're not saying he's Nick Madrigal, not a one to one comp, but no, I think that's a not. fair. They just have very, they just have a very similar skill set, and while I think Nick Madrigal is more athletic, um, he's also like five eight, and Tyler Freeman is like six feet tall, so. Um, I feel like Tyler Freeman just has more leverage to work with there, and that's why he's able to hit the ball more. Like, I remember um, when you when you were covering him when he was at um, Wallening Valley, and, you know, he had, like, 30 doubles in 60 games or something, something crazy. I think he has the all-time, he has the all-time record for doubles at Wallening Valley with, like, 30 and, like, 70 games or something. Um, and he hit, like, 355 or something. Um, what what he does when he's just not striking out and he's on is just crazy because um, he he's not gonna have I don't think he's ever gonna have a lot of home run power but just he can rack up doubles like Jose did um, when he was before he was a true home run hitter and it's really nice to see um, just because the contact skills are just so uncanny and the toe tap and everything and. Um, if we can figure out how to draw more walks, that would be very nice instead of having to rely on making contact so much because at the managing level, there's no way that's going to be unsustainable unless he just breaks bad like Tim Anderson does. Tim Anderson is the, the IRA. He's definitely the exception to the rule. If you can... If you can make that approach, you have to be Tim Anderson. I don't know that Freeman is Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson is ridiculously underrated. Um, and Freeman was starting to draw some more walks in Lake County in 2019. And then he got to Lynchburg, and that kind of got away from him. Um, it's it's too early to really you know, look Tell. at his walk right now. It's 7%, but uh, I'd have to look at his at-bat by at-bat and see how he's doing. He's, he's just an aggressive hitter, and, and – Sometimes you can't ask guys to change who they are too much. Like, yeah, you want them to walk more. Um, but, but at some it, point, you might have to let it be him. Yeah, if it gets in the way of him just racking up hits. I mean, I don't. I feel like Tim Anderson is just stealing. That's fair. As a hitter. Like, that's what I would call his true ceiling. Um, just because I feel like he has the athleticism and to do the, the leverage to tap into that power, maybe if you start pulling the ball more, pulling in the air. But he also frequently makes line drive contact too, and you really don't want to get away from that. Um, I just Tyler Freeman is is very unique. Um, he, he's really proof that the contact guy is still alive in baseball, and. Even amongst the emphasis on three true outcomes and stuff like that, he's really a um, your old school one or two guy. Well, if he's as half as fun as Timmy Anderson, I think Indians fans should be happy because I don't know. I if you're if you're a Cleveland fan, you hate facing the White Sox and Timmy Anderson because he's hard to get out. But uh, if he's on your team, he's fun to watch. And as a baseball fan, I enjoy watching Timmy Anderson. And I enjoy watching Tyler Freeman. Tyler Freeman plays the game as hard as any of I've ever seen play and with a smile on his face with energy and, um, you know, gets plus marks for makeup and everything. So I think that's a good seeing and a decent comparison. I don't know if he'll ever be that good. I hope, you know, you hope, like you said, that's true ceiling. Um, he's still going to be a good player. Um, yeah, I agree. 
Shane McCarthy, we'll mention, had a really good start uh, this past, over the weekend. Four and a third, eight strikeouts, a hit, and earned run. Um, he was about 92-93, topped out 94. Fastball's got some arm side run. Um, some good movement on the slider and the chain and the curveball. Uh, I didn't really get a good look at the changeup personally. I don't know if that's something he's lacking quite yet, but he has some traits that are sort of like Plesak and Savali. Those guys both had good changeups in the minors, and I don't know if McCarthy has that, but you know, it's that same Plesak profile where he doesn't throw super hard. He's got some fastball movement. He's got good off-speed stuff. So he could be a bit of a sleeper there. And also, more importantly, uh, Shane McCarthy is donating $3 per strikeout this season that he racks up. Uh, it's a pediatric cancer research. He's up to $30 donated um, through two starts. And that's important because, A, it's a good cause, but also because uh, being an Akron AA, I'm going to guess Shane McCarthy probably makes like 20000 a year, maybe. So the fact yeah, that the guy is donating $3 for strikeout is – it's really generous. I was going to make that joke. That's that's very generous. That's very very generous for a minor league player, to, a, a pitcher specifically, to donate three dollars for a K. Um, yeah, that's going to be a good chunk of his salary. It is, and that's Hopefully. an indictment on him. <laughs> that's an indictment on minor league, major league baseball for not paying minor leaguers enough money. Um, and it's funny we had that conversation before we even started the pod, and we kind of won up here again. Um, if anyone in baseball is listening, please pay these guys more money. There's no reason for professional baseball players to be making minimum wage and very livable salaries. So, well, no one's no one's talking, you know, paying minor leaguers, you know, Mike Trout money or even you know a million dollars a year. But yeah, you're right, like. I feel like $50,000 a year is pretty reasonable for how much um, revenue major league teams bring in. And who knows, maybe Shane McCarthy, if that ever happened, Shane McCarthy or someone like him could, you know, donate $10 per strikeout. (laughs) And this is not even that. They shouldn't have to pay for housing either. Yeah, that's a good point. The Astros just instituted that. I didn't even even think about that. The Astros um, are paying and taking care of their minor leaguers uh, living arrangements this year, which is an incredible upside for the Astros and also very beneficial for the players. But that's, I don't want to, I don't want to heap too much praise on them for that because it's a good thing, but it also kind of feels like the bare minimum in some way. Right. Absolutely. It's like you're wearing a, a fish for swimming. Um, it should have been, <laughs> it should be, it should be implemented league wide and amongst other things. So it doesn't. I'm not. Yeah, heaping too much credit is 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 uh, unconducive to to our stance on this whole debacle with minor leaguers being taken advantage of by the organizations they work for. Yeah, I think it's just it's so notable because it's a new thing, and it, like you said, it's the it's definitely the bare minimum, but it just stands out because it's <laughs> something that simple hasn't even been been done before. Um, let's see, let's point out when I get to the Hillcats here, but Will Benson, um, 36% strikeout rate, and it's still too early to talk about some of those stats, but, you know, Will Benson does strike out a lot. But he has a 9-10 OPS so far, and it's it's super hard to maintain 
good offensive production at that strikeout rate in double A, but he's still doing it. He's still hitting for power. He's still walking. That's just who Will Benson is. And if I don't know if, if he continues to move up, if he continues to stay around 36% strikeout rate, there are very few examples of that where guys can make that work at the major league level. But if he can just find a way to get to the rest of his tools on the field um, and keep that strikeout rate around that mark, there's still a lot of talent in there. And, and I don't think people realize sometimes how good Will Benson is because they just look at the strikeouts. But literally, if it wasn't for the strikeouts, Will Benson has superstar upside. And I, I, I'm hopeful for him, and I'm hopeful because of how much talent he has that this production that he's, he's putting up so far um, proves that he can do it with that strikeout rate. Will Benson gives me Joey Gallo vibes. That's a good one. Yeah. Although, I don't think he has... I don't think Joey Gallo has Will Benson's speed. And I also... I would also say Will Benson's a better defender in the outfield. Oh. oh. That's that's interesting. Um, I mean, I, Joey Gallo is a really good defender. So, I thought they were just very similar. But, I mean, if you think... I mean, Will Benson has legit... 55 grade speed, which is really cool for someone his size and his strength, especially as he's put on muscle and stuff. Um, and it's funny because I, I remember um, when we drafted him because he came up, to, he is the same age as me and we graduated the same year from high school together. So I think, I think we were both born close to each other. We were both born in June. But um, I, I'm really rooting for him. He seems like a cool guy from everything I've heard from you over the years and other people who dropped it to realms of Indians, baseball, Twitter, media coverage, etc. Um, and it, he's just so toolsy. The tools are just ridiculous, and especially on defense. Um, the arm, a great arm. Um, he can play defense. You you really are high on defensively, and he's actually more like the center field over his minor league career too, which is really cool. So uh, maybe like Joey Gallo on offense, Aaron Aaron Judges on defense. Yeah, I was gonna say. Well, I mean, you just look at the guy; he's a massive human being, and yeah, just is physically so gifted. Um, definitely like Aaron Judge in that realm, but. Yeah, he's he's one of few players in, in the Indian system that I can remember just possesses truly the whole package um, skills-wise. Like, yeah, the strikeout rate is definitely a huge concern. And, that you know, that may ultimately be what holds him back. He may never make it because of the strikeout rate. I don't know. It's, it's definitely an issue. But, you know, you mentioned about Nolan Jones being – patient and, and taking a lot of pitches and called third strikes. Will Benson's not, not totally dissimilar. He is a very patient hitter, maybe borderline passive sometimes. Uh, but, I, yeah, he's but off also, to a great start this year. Yeah, I also remember um, you breaking down Will Benson because of his long arms and, you know, he just can't get his arms out the way to swing and, you know, Get a pitch good. Get a pitch good enough, um, especially against velocity. And I just want to succeed. You just want to see guys with those type of tools 
getting a chance, you know, just because they can change the whole complexion of a team. He has that talent. There's there's no doubt Will Benson has superstar talent, and it's, I, it's just I mean, crazy, I, like one, I, one skill. Yeah, I vividly remember um, you covering his um, his four-homer game. And actually, um, that's my earliest memory I have of um, of IBI coverage was the four-homer game he had at Lake County. And I know that was probably crazy to see in real life. And that's probably that, – that's, that just encapsulates everything he can do. Four, four home run games are more rare than a perfect game, which – Says a lot considering we've, you know, the conversation you and I just had about pitching before we started recording tonight that four home run games are still even more rare than that. Right. Uh, Marcos Gonzalez, home runs in back to back games over the weekend. Uh, another infield prospect that Cleveland's had for a couple of years now who's had some injuries and obviously wasn't around last year, who's been kind of lost in the shuffle because of other names. Um, also, should mention Richie Palacios had a home run over the weekend. He's also played some outfield. I didn't get a, a good look at any video of him making any catches, but um, he's been everywhere. He's, I think he's played – I have to look this up, but I think he's played seven positions so far. I think he's played everywhere a catcher so far, if I'm not mistaken, or if not, close to it. Yeah, um, Richard Palacios, um, Marcos Gonzalez, they just kind of emphasize the infield depth. Um, that this organization has the young can feel deaf and they're, they're very talented. They kind of fall into the toolsy contact oriented guys. That's become a trope for the Indians organization in the prospect realms. And it, it's very cool to see um, them emphasize versatility to guys and the guys have been challenged like Aaron Bracho has been playing at first base. Um, Jose Tana played left field um, a couple of days ago. Um, and you're seeing guys like Richie Palacios play center field and left field and right. And um, you, you love to see it because um, it just it offers more centers. It shows good makeup. And um, it, it may help these guys get to the majors faster. Richie Palacios um, and Marcus Gonzalez both had torn labrums, I think. Am I right? Yeah, exact same injury. You're right. Yeah, exact same injury. And they were both very highly thought of guys. Um, I think Marcus Gonzalez got a $1 million bonus, if I'm not wrong, or a high six-figures bonus, I want to say. It was um, close. Yeah, you're right. And Richie Palacios was the third round out of to- uh, Towson, Maryland. He's from Brooklyn, I think. But um, Yeah, I mean, they're both very talented guys, contact-oriented guys, athletic. And Marcus Gonzalez uh, jumping to double A after not playing for the last two or three years because of the injury and the pandemic is really encouraging to see. And same with uh, Richie Palacios, even though he kind of jumped up three levels in his first year and he kind of was, he was looking very good. Um, but yeah, I mean, just two talented infielders amongst a, a pile of talented infielders. I mean, I don't know what they do. You're going to have to trade some of these guys to get something. You, you just can't hold on to these guys like this. They got to they gotta cash in sooner or later. Yeah, especially the 40s. I mean, Palacios and I think 
well, Gonzalez is already 40-man eligible, I think, but or uh, little five eligible. Palacios will be this winter, and I was a little bit wrong. Palacios has only played second short. I'm sorry, yes, yeah, second second short and left field and center field. So uh, no third or first yet. I know their manager said back on media day that he would get some time at first base. So we'll see if he gets around there, but I think he's going to play everywhere. And to something we were talking about earlier about the maturity of these players and the way they're prepared, um, like Jose Tina, you brought up again and, and Palacios and uh, Gonzalez, they're all hitting the ball. Well, despite the fact that they're playing, a different position or, or two or three different positions a week. Like that's hard for some guys to, to suit up at a different position. I know baseball's, you know, the same no matter what, but for a young guy trying to get his footing, you know, to go in to three different positions and to go to the plate and still be able to have success and not worry about your defense affecting your offense. I think people lose sight of how hard that can be for a young player sometime. And to see these guys off to such good starts offensively, with how much they're moving around in the field, I think that also says a lot. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on to Lynchburg. We should probably speed things along a little bit. We've gone over an hour, so anybody yeah. still listening, yeah. bless you. <laughs> I hope you like minor league baseball because we got more to cover. Um, yeah, we're almost there. Hill <laughs> Cats offense, uh, 72 runs the first six games, so they were on fire. Last six, though, uh, only 25. I guess that's not that bad, but compared to 72, they had uh, a 10-run 10, 10 game and an 8-run game uh, in that six last six stretch, so they cooled off a little bit. And Kenzie Noel has cooled off some. Uh, six strikeouts and one walk. So for a guy who's hit for a ton of power so far, not walking but also not striking out, that's good to see. Alexi Planez, another guy I was excited to see this year. Uh, been a rough, rough start for him, 16 strikeouts and one walk. And then, um, I don't know, I've gotten some questions about Yaner Diaz today, and, and he's sitting over 400. I have some concerns about the approach and his swing, uh, but he makes it work. He hits the ball hard somehow. He makes it work. It's not conventional, but it works. So uh, I'll have to consider a little bit more of that. Mike Capriz, a home run, five doubles, four strikeouts, three walks so far. And then, Pat, you want to run through the pitching a little bit? Have you seen these guys yet? Um, I haven't. I haven't seen um a lot of the pitching, but comment on the offense. Um, what goes up must come down. Um, naturally, that's just gonna happen. Um, you can see Noel um cooling off, but still just at six Ks and one base on balls is pretty encouraging. Um, I I I read Eric Longahan's report and he was he was kind of low on his hit tool, but maybe he's showing more of a 50-grade hit to it in the 40-grade, but we'll see. We're still only 10-11 games in. Um, Alexei Planez, he had he was known for his swing and, miss, swing and miss issues and his approach, lack of approach, um, and the DSL and ACL. Um, I'm not surprised at all, especially with him jumping straight to low A. Um, I feel like having a short season would have been very good for him, but it is what it is. Um, He's still very talented. He's like 6'5", and he get placed in the field, which is ridiculous. Um, and he has crazy raw power. Um, Yanner Diaz was a pretty good guy in, in the DSL and ASL. Um He's pretty slash on similar to what he was down there. Um, he hit the ball a lot, but he 
didn't strike out a lot. He didn't walk a lot. Um, he might have struck out some, but I mean, he needs to adjust his approach, or unless he wants to have a seventh grade hit towards a catcher, this isn't going to be sustainable. Um, Micah Preeze is the brother of a player who played at UCLA. I can't remember his name, but um, he seemed to be pretty good. I really don't know much about Micah Preeze, but um, I like to strike out the walk ratio um, and the doubles. Doubles are always a good thing. Lenny um, Torres bouncing back and showing signs of competency um, after Tom John's surgery and um, missing out in 2020 season due to the pandemic. Um, it's, it's really nice to see. Um, Javion Carey is really kind of opened eyes. Um, fun fact, one of my best friends um, uh, from when I went to college in Atlanta know, knows him and uh, went to Georgia Tech with him. Um, and it's kind of cool to see him do his thing so far. Only allowed three hits, 12Ks, three base on balls. Um, he had a really good curveball. That's really all I really remember about him. Um, he, could, he could strike guys out. He was he was a Friday starter for G, Georgia Tech, I think, during his time there. Um, and I want to say Zach Hart was um, a super tall guy. No, I'm thinking somebody else. I'm thinking um, Liam Jenkins. But um, you, you want to give a rundown on Zach Hart? Because I, I really am not that, I'm not that knowledgeable of him. I, I'm not either. I mean, I was just trying to try to run through and see if you had any anything you've read on these guys. Zach Hart is, is kind of off my radar. I know he's got some strikeouts so far. He's been a good uh, a good reliever for the Hillcats. Haven't got a look at anything velocity-wise because everyone who is trying to implement MILB TV in their ballparks this year, not all of them tie in their velocity, which um, I think this is going to be another a shot at my Major League Baseball, but um, – I think they make the minor league teams pay for that setup. So that's ridiculous. League, yeah. So the minor league teams who the captains don't have MILB TV in their ballpark. They never have. This is the first year the Hillcats ever had it. So a lot of teams are doing it for the first time. And I always said, if you're going to pay the money to have the they're setup, not do it. yeah. If you're if you're going to if you're going to pay for it, tie the velocity and just do the whole thing. But yeah. You know, like I said, the Major League Baseball, I, I don't think they're footing the bill. I think they're making the minor league teams uh, foot the bill. But. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> um, that's a marginal that's investment, too. Just, why, why not? I mean, it's not even just that. They, they, they should really make um, minor league baseball, watching it more accessible on the Internet with all the technology we have now. And StatCast data. I would like to see these guys' StatCast data. It's it's at some ballparks. I don't know if you caught um, the Daily Prospect Notes video from Eric Long and Hanging, but there was a game or day where he did a video, and there is kind of a hack where you can plug in the, the game day code um, from a minor league box score into Baseball Savant, but only very few stadiums have it. I think he was looking at a Giants affiliate who had it. Um, I've checked for all of Cleveland so far, and so far none of them have StatCast data, which doesn't surprise me because they're very close to the vest on a lot of these things, so they're going to be protective at not being too common knowledge, but 
it is what it is. Um, let's 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 roll to our questions, then we'll do the predictions so we can get out of here. Okay. Um, we'll flip the script a little bit. RDP said, "How's the pipeline of relievers looking right now?" Now we promoted to the few to the majors. Yeah, Sandlin's up. I mean, there's still Anthony Goes, who's not really a prospect, but you know, he throws hard, Robert and he, there is Robert Broom, who's who's not quite as I. There was a time where I feel like there were some people who thought Robert Broom was better than Nick Sandlin. Nick Sandlin has always thrown harder, and I know he's always had better spin on the fastball. So I feel like Sandlin's still better, but Robert Broom is still in that tier. Um, I would say for me, it's Nick Mikolajczak. I think Nick Mikolajczak, if if they really, really had a need for another rookie reliever up there, which they don't because the bullpen's already very young, maybe next year I would say Nick Mikolajczak. You think Robert Broom or anybody else uh, you find worth mentioning? I actually like Mikolajczak. I think he's uh, the next guy up. At the bullpen group, and it's it's weird um, how we kind of how we all collectively complain about the Indians struggles develop relievers after they ran Allen Miller and Shaw into the ground, and then these guys Karen Jack and, and company just pop up and they snag Emmanuel Class A, the best pitching relief pitch pitcher prospect in a decade for Corey Kluber, one arm Corey Kluber, and then they get Brian Shaw back and. It's really cool to see. Um, they kind of turned that around very quickly, and then they also shown that they are not afraid to put relievers on the fast track to the organization. Also, um, I would like to see Nick Sandlin and and Trevor Stephan make more appearances. Also, because Tito is running those guys to the ground. He's running Class A and Kirijek to the ground. Yeah, we've talked about that ad nauseum. Uh, on the other podcasts, we've that, that's going to continue to be an issue. Um, RDP also wanted to ask, are we troubled by the rough start for Nolan Jones? Uh, we kind of answered that. You said it's early, and it's his first trip through AAA. And the other question he had was, is Gabriel Arias capable of playing third base? Gabriel Arias, to me, and I, I feel like you agree because I know you're a big fan of his, um, I think he's capable of playing anywhere on the diamond. I feel like he could play third, short. His arm would be wasted at second base because it's so good, but they could put him in the outfield, and I feel like he'd play great defense out there. Um, it's weird because Gabriel Arias is a very big dude. Like He's like 6'2", 6'3", but he's an above-average runner, um, and he has an A-grade arm. He's a big he's – a, he's an athletic dude for some of his size, um, and – I think he's the best shortstop defender in the system, honestly. I think he's just as good as Rokio defensively. Rokio might have a little more foot speed, but I think Gabriel's has just enough, has just as equal range, and then his arm and on the left side of the infield is just a cannon. He has a true eighty grade arm, and you don't want to pass that up. His arm is probably the best infield arm. I mean, Nolan Jones has a really good arm too. I think people it gets underrated because people talk about his offense. Nolan Jones has a great arm, but yeah, I think Gabriel Arias might have the best infield arm in the system. He and he and Will Benson both just have ridiculous arms. Um, Mad Thinker, any additional pro- COVID protocols in place regarding promoting a player from the majors from a level other than AAA? Um, I don't think so. Teams have already promoted guys uh, from multiple levels at this point, so I don't think there's any COVID protocols. Not that I've seen pop up. 
I'll have to double back and look at that. Just talking about Gabriel Arias, Mark Leffel asks, would you consider Arias to have the highest, the highest ceiling of position players in the organization? Pat, I will let you take that one first. Um, yes. I'll say yes. Um, first of all, I really like Arias, so I may be biased when I say this, but um, – the above average power he has as a plus defender at shortstop. Well, I say plus plus defender at shortstop with a plus plus arm is is all star level, to be honest with you. And his MVP, and I wouldn't say MVP level, um, but we have to see how how well the swing decisions hold up. But when they first traded for him, people were like, "Oh, he used virtual reality training. He's trash." But I mean. At the time, he was a 19-year-old who has struggled so far, who was a former top prospect. And I think, to me, it was a sign that he wanted to show that he could play. And it was a sign of a positive makeup. And he still worked at it. And so far this season, I tweeted this, that his swing decisions have paid a lot of dividends. He's running like a double-digit walk rate at this point right now. And it's unsustainable, but it's a great sign for someone who's 20 years old playing at 20, 21 years old playing at triple a in the first in triple a and they skipped double a like that's just remarkable to me um the the growth and learning he's displaying right now he has a group swing yeah i mean so um he hits the ball hard he hits the ball in the air he has opposite field power for days and we've seen that because both his home runs so far have been opposite field and while Columbus is a band box, um, I'll, I'll take opposite a guy with sixty raw power that could go opposite field as, as a plus plus defender at short any day of the week. Yeah, he does have great power to the opposite field. I I don't know why people would would bag on the virtual reality training. I mean that's a very new concept, and and for a guy to take that on in his age and try to figure that out is definitely a positive thing. I, I think, I feel like his ceiling is Javier Baez in some ways, just because of his I, aggressive approach. I, I agree. I, but I feel like he, he's shown more propensity to walk. Yeah. Baez, yeah. I would, I would, I don't know if I would say Arias is the high. If you're saying true ceiling, like if this guy reaches his full, full potential, like a hundredth percentile outcome, I'd have to say Will Benson, just because Will Benson's got everything you'd want. Um, not that Arias doesn't, but I just feel like Will Benson is going to be. I mean, I don't know. Shortstop defense is really important, so maybe, maybe you're uh, right. Positional you value, yeah. I think just yeah. from positional value, in fact, that Arias could probably be a go-go defender at shortstop right now. And that, that's no exaggeration, in my opinion. I think you agree. 100%. Yeah, if you put him up there right now, I think he could compete defensively for a gold glove. I think the only reason I put Benson in that category is because I feel like Benson's 100 percentile outcome, like the best the best he's he can be to me is a 40 home run hitter who steals 20 bases and could play a gold glove outfield. And so, left-handed Aaron Judge with, with speed. Right. 
that's that's a that, that's a superstar player. They both could be. Yeah, that is. Um, that's that's a that's a war player easily. Right. Um, if they ever get there, who knows? But those are the two guys I think for sure are very close positional wise. Then Tom Nichols said uh, Vargas sure on the forty man. He just said Tommy John. Could he get moved to the sixty day, day IL? Maybe Roberto to that. He's talking about the Owen Miller situation. Um, oh. Vargas, go ahead. They're not going to start his clock. Right. So I doubt it. Um, Berto, they said a couple months, so that makes sense. Um, and that makes actually that actually makes a lot of sense now that I think about it. I don't know why I didn't think about that when we were talking about who would be good to put on the IL. Um, and you think that makes sense? I think that makes sense. Putting Berto on the IL and bring it up on Miller for a 40-man spot. But who would you Yeah, think? it's... That's the only thing I can it. think of. Cam Hill's going to come back soon, but I don't. I I feel like now that Nick Samuel's up, I kind of feel like Cam Hill is going to be out of in Triple A. Yeah. Maybe so, they DFA Cam Hill. Somebody pick him up. Oh, somebody, somebody would, and somebody should. I just kind of wonder, like, if they're going to hang on to Trevor Steffen, even though they barely pitch him, um, if they have. You know, Nick Sandlin's up now. I just I feel like maybe Cam Hill has kind of been passed up. If they really need a forty man spot, maybe maybe they go there. But Perez Perez to start for sure. I think if Miller does come up next week or two weeks from now, I think for sure Perez is the obvious one. Um, okay, so we're in, we're at an hour twenty again. If you're listening at this point, thank you so much. Uh, you must love minor league baseball as much as we do. Uh, last week predictions from Willie uh, for player of the week. He picked Tanner Burns and Jan Kenzie Noel. I had Hunter Gaddis and Tyler Freeman. Pat, I'll let you decide who, who had the better picks last week. Um, I go you easily. Just don't no, make it I, awkward Willie, I'm sorry, we're doing Willie. this together. <laughs> I'm sorry, Willie. I apologize. All right. So you're going with Willie for last week's winner, Burns and Noel? Yeah. All right, so Willie gets number one in the win column for the year. Um, number one with, with uh, Burns and Noel. Boy, tough one. Gaddis had uh, five innings of, of no-hit ball, and Freeman had a five-hit week. But, yeah, Tanner Burns is really good. Uh, Noel still hitting the ball, even after his ridiculous start. Let's go with this week's predictions. All right. You're officially on the clock, Pat. Who is your pitcher and player of the week for this week? Uh, Jan Carlos Mejia is my prediction for pitcher of the week. Gabriel Ayres is my prediction for a uh, hitter. All right, so Pat's going with Mejia, who's, who's had a pretty good start to the year. He's had a, some command issues early on, but uh, has gotten some swings and misses early on. He's uh, probably due for a good start. And Gabriel Arias, as we just talked about, is – Always a phenomenal pick because of his power and just saw him launch a ball to the opposite field in Columbus this past weekend. Ridiculous talent. I'm going to go with Xavier Curry just because the guy's been so good so far. I feel like I don't want to strike too far, and I really like him. I, I, want, I, I know you said Espino might come up to Lake County if Burns and Allen get promoted, but I feel like Curry's going to get to Lake County quicker because so far he is rolling through – low-A hitters. I almost want to say Carolina League, but it's not the Carolina League anymore, and I can't keep those leagues straight. And then 
I'm going to go with Will Brennan. Will Brennan, I feel like, is just hitting the crap out of the ball, and he's getting on base. He's stealing bases, and it seems like a good, a good safe pick. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, all right, so Willie's 1-0 on the air, or at least is the top of the column. We'll uh, keep tabs of this all year as we normally do. Um, let's just get out of here on that note. Pat, thank you for doing this with me. Uh, thanks for staying on so long doing it as well. I know it was a, a late night for both of us, and uh, this is really enjoyable. It was good to get to talk to you and, and good to get your – your thoughts on the system. I think this was a, a good podcast and I, I hope everybody who listened this far enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm glad to be here. I'm really happy working for Abia right now. Um, you're, you're a great editor and thank you for bringing me on. And I'm happy to be on the podcast. I listen to so much to learn about minor league baseball. So definitely glad to have you again. And Pat, everybody can follow Pat at tangible underscore Uno. Highly recommend you go read everything he's written at this point so far, not just the IBI stuff, but everything else he's, uh, he's done to this point. And of course we want you to read IBI because my head spins sometimes how much content we're putting out at this point. It's no minor league notebooks, game coverage, uh, draft coverage, podcasts, and um, diamonds in the rough. I mean, there's been a ton of content. And, oh, if you've listened this far, you've probably already read it cause you're a super fan, but um Arthur today, Arthur Kinney had a, a piece on Derek Loop, who was a Cleveland draft pick uh, many, many moons ago playing in Mexico. And he talked about his journey playing for Cleveland and independent ball and how he's acclimated himself to playing in Mexico. One of the coolest things I've read in a while, just because that's kind of a, a piece of baseball you don't read a lot about today. And um, I don't know, go read that. It was definitely a cool interview. So thanks for listening to this point, and we will catch you again next week.